You're listening to Rocks Across the Pond, the curling podcast that goes around the globe looking for the best stories in the world's coolest sport. We have curling news and views for everyone, whether you're playing in your Thursday league or following your favorite teams on tour. Now here are your hosts, Ryan McGee and our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Hey everybody, welcome to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee and joining us in Southampton, England is our professor of Peel, Jonathan Havercroft. Jonathan, how are you today? I got soaked in the rain. Well, it's you're in, you're in England, right? That's yeah. like every day. It is every day, but it was bad today and I was wearing a wool sweater and now I smell like a wet dog. That's like it rains there every day. How did you leave without something that wasn't going to rain it, on it a It rained so hard it went through my waterproof rain jacket. Also, tell your your you can tell that you have been promoted from associate professor to professor because now that you've gone full wool, yeah. um, like that's a very much a, pro- a professorial thing. I think. Yeah. Do you have elbow patches? Uh, not yet. That's that's for Christmas. I think. Is that if you is that if you get tenure? <laughs> I got tenure like a decade ago, right? <laughs> oh, well, we we've we've talked about your uh, your recent curling accomplishments on a podcast that we've already recorded that will be released later. So that's kind of, the preview for the women's worlds. The preview for the women's worlds that right. I didn't actually hit record on. <laughs> um, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so how, how have you been since then other than getting your, um, your wool, whatever jacket rained, uh, ruined? Uh, it's good. I curled the mixed. We finished fourth. Okay. It was fun. I beat Lisa Farnell. So that's always, uh, that's always good. That's all that matters. Really. You beat your rivals, <laughs> beat your friends. Right. <laughs> um, I think I'm done. I think that's it. My, my curling season's over. So I'm going to take a break till probably August. Now that you have won the English men's and you know that you're going to be playing in the Euro B's here in, I guess, six months, six, seven months, you really, what you should do instead of taking a break is you should get a hold of friend of the program, Stephanie Thompson, and get an off-season training program designed specifically for you. Yeah, I'll do that. Okay, it's a good idea. <laughs> Are you getting a commission? Uh, no. Like, that's right. how much I believe in what Stephanie does is this is All not, right. we have not been, this is not a paid ad read. But yes, you should reach out to Stephanie and get a personalized off-season training regimen that will get you and your team prepared for the Eurobees. We're counting right. on you. You're counting on. It's good. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah, it is a lot of pressure. You've got you've got to go and qualify England for the A's, man. It's no longer us sitting here talking on a podcast about someone getting England to the A's. It's now your job. It's all my job. All right. It is. Are it you is you. Me? You seem like you're probably cheering for Latvia or something. 
No, I want you to advance to the A's so that you can go and get like good interviews for this podcast. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing that. That's like a dweeb thing. I'm not going to be like, <laughs> hey, Nick Lissadine, we <laughs> on my podcast. I'm not doing that crap. You, well, you better. <laughs> I'll get you, I'll oh comp you a God. ticket and you can come. How do you think I'm getting to like wherever on we'll, Denmark we'll or wherever? We'll, we'll get our fans to pay your plane ticket. Our fan? <laughs> <laughs> well, before we are able to get, get uh, those guests that you'll get... Um, when I send you to the Eurobees <laughs> in October, we do have a guest today. Uh, he's been on the show before. It's Melvin Lee from Ottawa. We like having Melvin on because uh, Melvin kind of he gets around the curling world um, and he's able to bring us stories um, from the Asian teams that kind of let us know that, you know, those federations and those teams and those players face, you know, the same issues that we face here in North America. And, uh, curling is curling is the same basically all over the world. And we get to learn how different, how they, how they address these issues in different places. Uh, Melvin, um, also very active curler in, in Ottawa. Uh, and we, we love having him on. So Melvin, thank you for joining us again. Thank you for inviting me, Ryan and John. It's good to be with you guys again. Well, how have you been? It's been a while since we talked. Uh, Things are kind of blowing up for me curling-wise, like in a good way, in a good way. And I don't know if we're going to get into it, but like some bucket list stuff that I did earlier this year regarding curling in Korea. And uh, it's all good, man. It's awesome. Like it's really cool. Yeah, we definitely want to hear about that, and I guess we can we can lead off with that. Yeah, you could, we'll lead off, we'll lead off with the good things before we get into <laughs> the more the more serious topics that we do want to want to talk about here sure. uh, today. But yeah, you got to actually go go to Korea and and uh, yeah, cr- cross a couple of things off your bucket list. Tell us yes. what you what you were able to do uh, on your trip out there. So on previous podcast, I kind of told you the story about how I got into international curling consulting and meeting up with Team Kim at the 2018 World Championships and blah, blah, blah. Uh, helped to build the first curling club in Korea, but never been there, right? So this past Christmas, our family went to Korea and I spoke with Team Kim and they gave me the opportunity to curl with them um, at the Gangneung Olympic Curling Center. And uh, it was so cool. Like you go in and they still have some of the signage up from the 2018 Olympics. They haven't even taken some of that down. And uh, they pointed out the the famous sheet that they beat Japan (laughs) in the uh, semifinal. We ended up not playing on that sheet. We ended up curling on actually sheet C where they lost to Sweden in the gold medal game. Uh, But um, that was really cool. And then the following day, um, Chang Min Kim, he was the uh, uh, skip, former skip of the Korean men's national team who lives in Uisong. He basically hosted me at the Uisong Curling Center, which is the curling club that I helped to build back in 2006. And I found it awesome as a club curler to be able to curl on arena ice 
That's flat. That's totally <laughs> flat. Pebbled, pebbled beautifully. And I swear you got like five, six feet of curl. It was just insane. They had actually both clubs, both areas had sanded the rocks uh, within the last week. So the curl was insane. Yeah, but it was really, really cool. That's So do they have, um, I mean, this is probably more of a North American thing, but do they have like a banner up in the rafters for, you know, <laughs> Team Kim winning their silver or, you know, the no. different events that they've hosted there? Or is that very much a North American thing? It's a North American thing. <laughs> yeah. You know what? And actually, I don't know if they would have one maybe if they won gold. So the, the, the Koreans are all about Olympic gold medals. As, as much as... You know, we heard the stories about how crazy Korea went during the actual event. If they had won gold, there'd be a statue of all four of them <laughs> out in front of the building. <laughs> Forget a banner. <laughs> yes, yes. No, I mean, uh, and I don't know if I described to you on a previous podcast as to some things that the previous coach, Katie Kim, did to sabotage. Uh, Team Kim's oh, yeah. attempt at gold uh, before that gold medal final. But yeah, I mean, uh, tremendous, tremendous result in such in a relatively short period of time uh, for a country that's still relatively new to curling. So what can you tell us uh, that's new with Team Kim? We know that we did not see them at uh, Women's Worlds. They were not the national champion this year. Yes. Um, so, but what is uh, what is new with uh, Team Kim? Uh, team Kim, uh, along with the other women's teams that aren't the national team, they you know suffer from uh, decreased funding, money funding. And also decreased opportunities in participating in tournaments overseas. So that hurts them in terms of points, right, on the CTR CTRS uh, uh, rating system there. Uh, not to mention they've been kind of middling, poorish in terms of their results of late. Um, they are uh, getting ready to host Gang the Gangneung Olympic Center is getting ready to host the mixed doubles in senior world championships. So they're busy helping to prepare for that. Um, but yeah, so they're, they have, they're based there now, right? They are based there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, one thing that's not curling news, but uh, Gyeonghae Steak is getting married uh, in just over a month. So. Oh, well, congratulations. Yeah, congratulations. And then you also got to go to uh, Usong. How was uh, how was that facility? Um, I mean, you had never you what you helped get the the you helped you helped hook them up with like blueprints or plans Correct. of yes. of what a facility needed to be like. And so, That's what right. was it like getting to lay eyes on that facility for the first time? Kind of weird because <laughs> it because you go in and I it was like in two thousand three. But still, it's like it's deja vu, right? It is the ice surface is exact same as the Fort Gary Curling Club, exact same. Oh, wow. uh, the lounge and the front, you know, the front area of the club, the non-ice area of the club is different, right? For different purposes, uh, two floors and the second floor is quite nice. Like the viewing area and the kind of the seating area for fans is quite large, right? 
they've hosted, I think, a couple of world curling tour events, if I'm not mistaken, there at Uisong. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I found out is because of the popularity of curly there in Uisong, they added two more sheets as a separate building. But Changmin was telling me that the first time they built it, something about the refrigeration tubes or something like that, things were just not good. So they had to tear it all down and build it up again. So, oh, wow. yeah, the extra two sheet or building beside was built twice. Um, yeah, it's it. I guess it helps to have, you know, a blueprint <laughs> of, a, of a good Canadian club to build on. Right. So. Yeah, no, it was it was very very interesting. I was, but I was most impressed with the ice. The ice is just, yeah, it's not it's not club ice, for sure. So last time we talked to you, the Korean Curling Federation had just gone through a change. They had a new president. Yes. Um, my understanding is that president is no longer the president. Is that correct? Correct. Um, are you now? When are you just going to take that job? Do you, uh, you're joking? <laughs> you're joking? I seriously looked into it. I seriously looked into it. I'm not joking you. Uh, obviously, I need to be a Korean citizen. <laughs> it's a it's a sub department of basically uh, in Canada. It would be considered Sport Canada. So it's it is called the Korean Olympic Committee. But that's basically the organization that oversees all sport in Korea. So Cur- Cur- Curling Federation is like a sub department of that. Uh, yeah, it's um, I don't know. They, they elected- so what happened with this last president? <sighs> he came over from the Korea Canoe Federation, mm-hmm. so it's a similar case. Yeah, uh, it became clear kind of late into his mandate. I don't know if it was two years or three years that he really wasn't in there for curling. Uh, it was pretty much a launch pad for his personal political ambition to become the Korea Olympic committee president. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And the, the money in the KCF basically has dwindled down to nothing. So they are financially in a very bad state. Uh, they had elections just under two months ago <clears throat> and a medical doctor is actually now the Korea curling federation president. Mm-hmm. So for me, like completely, a, someone completely outside of curling? I'm not sure if he is a curler. I don't think so. Uh, but he's his link to sport, I guess he was one of the head physicians during the Pyeongchang Olympics. And when these uh, world, uh, you know, sport tournaments happen, he's kind of the go-to physician. So that's his, that's his in. Um, yeah, but for, for me to possibly liaise with the Korean Curling Federation, being a fellow healthcare professional might provide that kind of, you know, professional colleague link that will allow me to help the Korea Curling Federation in specific uh, in a more impactful way than I have in the past. How many, I'm just genuinely curious, how many rinks are there now in Korea? Seven. Seven. And so like, like, like how busy are they? Is there like just full on clubs or is it mostly like corporate rentals or how does it, how's it set up? So it's kind of the sad thing about curling in Korea still. It's still an elite sport, right? So basically these clubs are 
like, I don't know, I think there's under a thousand active curlers in Korea. Across seven so different ranks. Yes, right. Okay. Right. And I'd say 85 to 95% of that, that uh, thousand are elite curlers, hmm. right? There is no such phenomenon as club curling in Korea, right? Curling athletes as as young as elementary school are identified, selected, groomed, trained, and then from a very young, relatively early age, curl a lot, right? Especially from junior high age up. Hmm. Uh, that's the story. The elite curlers belong to a given municipality. And so we're seeing the three powerhouse Korean municipalities being Gangneung, um, actually Gangneung and Chuncheon. Chuncheon is actually the home municipality of the Korean Korean women's national team. Okay. okay? And they're both in what's Gang, Gangwon province, which is basically the same province where the Pyeongchang Olympics was held. Okay. Yeah. There, uh, Gyeonggi province, Team Gim. Okay. I'd say healthy-wise, like uh, in terms of membership and competitiveness level and stuff, uh, Gyeonggi province is probably number one right now in Korea. And then, of course, you have Uisong. Thing is, you have this power struggle that's happened there. So Uisong was where the Team Kim Curlers are from. They left and went to Gangneung. The, it's still functioning, but they're called Gyeongbuk Sports Council. That is dying. Hmm. But the interest in curling and specifically the Early Stone Curling Center is rising. And so the actual municipality itself, actually just a few weeks ago, uh, founded three uh, teams for the Uisong municipality. Hmm. So I'd say those are your three kind of powerhouse municipalities in Korea. And so... So you think there's about a thousand. So are they all like just entering national playdowns and playing in, in tournaments across Korea then? Or? Yeah, there are. I found out actually through conversations with the coaches, you know, both in Korea and recently here, the coach that's with the team in Ottawa. Um, there's several competitive tournaments throughout the year, actually. Uh, one that's put on specifically by the Korea Curling Federation. One that's called, it's part of the... Uh, uh, Korea National Winter Festival, and that goes back like over a hundred years, right? That one apparently for funding is very important. How you place hmm. in that festival determines how much money the federal government, Korean government, grants to each uh, munip- municipality based on their performance in this festival. Oh wow! Right? Yeah. So does that is that like so if you're the curling team are you playing for the whole municipality or is it like a block grant just for curling something else for skiing something else for skating yeah i, I that's a good question i'm not sure uh, i'm not sure if there's so many points for the curling tournament and skiing and whatever and mm-hmm. then combined um, so it's the equivalent of the canada winter games deciding how much funding yeah. from curling canada would go to say nova scotia curling manitoba yeah. curling etc that's uh, Ryan, very impressive. Yes, Canada Winter <laughs> Games. You're gonna, that's a that's like that's the question John should have asked me. What are you doing? Um, yeah, Ryan, Ryan yeah. will pull out the most random sporting events from around the world. Yeah, like, yeah, that one was impressive though. That one was impressive. Uh, but that's exactly it. It's like the Canada Winter Games. Exactly, it's a perfect uh, analogy. 
And then you've got, of course, got the Korean National Curling Championships, right? So um, the thing that I actually personally have advocated for the coaches and the teams to revive was they had one season um, a televised Korean uh, Korea Curling League where all I actually of the remember that. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it, it was it was really good. Like you saw Team Kim and Team yep. Gim battle it out. And then uh ironically I think COVID kind of put a put the kibosh on that well, one. Well COVID right? and also corruption. Like the guy who ran oh, yeah. it, I, I worked uh, with him and, uh, but um ironically That was like a made for TV event too, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah. correct. Ironically, uh the mixed doubles uh, became the most popular through that league. And there was this one particular team from, uh, from Gyeongbuk, uh, uh, half, half Korean, half Filipino guy. And this young Korean lady, they were like, they went viral on YouTube in Korea. Hmm. So it really helped to actually elevate the popularity of the sport. But yeah, Ryan, like you said, after COVID just died. So they are really trying to revive that, uh, in Korea. So what's the future for the Korean Curling Federation then? What would how would you I don't know, would you say it's bright? Would you say it's improved? Would you say it's about the same same song different verse? You know, I'm going to use the word sad. I I kind of figured out as I as I work more with these teams and the coaches this Confucian patriarchal dynamic where it's like the president is at the top of the pyramid and then, you know, the executives and then the coaches and then it's, you know, the team members below. Um, And all the municipalities are fighting with each other. Right. And I don't think even now uh, there's really anybody with any real vision um, or knowledge of the game of curling on uh, the executive staff at the curling, curling, Korean Curling Federation. Um, plus, you have this mentality that, you know, we Koreans, okay, we won the Olympic silver medal. We know what we're doing. So we're going to do it on our own. And they can't. They'll need outside coaching help, uh, infrastructure help. Uh, help even building like more curling clubs. That, to be honest with you, if you're wanting to grow a sport of curling in any country, that's where you have to start. Build more curling clubs. Make it more accessible to everybody in that country, not just the elite athletes, right? So I, I it's not good. Um, I don't know. And then there's a, the optimistic side of me says, we'll see. I don't know. We'll see. Mm. I mean, I'd love to see them reach out to me um, and realize what a resource I can be for them regarding the network of curlers and coaches and curling equipment companies that I have here in in Canada and um, truly not just grow, but explode the sport in Korea, right? So. Well, and then you look at... You look at Canada, even Canada realizing that they might need some outside help in bringing in uh, David Murdoch. Yeah. Um, great segue, Ryan McGee. <laughs> the king. King of the um, segue. I, uh, I had a talk with uh, 
I don't know if her name is. I, you know what? I should actually leave out her name just in case you know she's going to get in trouble for this. But she competed recently at the Scotties. Let's just say that, okay? And I, uh, I met her in Ottawa, and a younger curler, and I asked her a direct question: um, How do you feel about Curling Canada's support for young curlers? And her blunt answer to me was. Well, I'm not one of the top five teams, so there is no support, right? Um, I don't know if you guys, you guys must have talked about this. Curling, uh, the uh, Canadian junior curling teams, men and women were relegated, right? Yeah, that was part of that episode that I forgot to hit record on. No, (laughs) (laughs) but Ryan, to me, that is very telling about the very worrisome future of Canada's competitive teams internationally. Well, the U S got relegated to both sides. (laughs) Yeah. So, So okay. You guys have this problem too. (laughs) I'm not not here to cast aspersions on on Canadian (laughs) junior curling, (laughs) but um, I I'm really hoping that Murdoch coming to Canada is going to, you know, uh, it really needs to be, in my opinion, a system overhaul at Curling Canada uh, regarding this. It's, it, mean, it's a big problem. I mean, I got bad news for you if you yeah. want more than five teams receiving funding. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Murdoch, based the off British of the higher. Models, uh, British Curling models three teams in each gender get funding, and that's it. Oh, dear. So, yeah, that's I mean, I. I, I'm That's curious what's going to happen, but yeah, I think like the British curling model like, and Murdoch's model has been a, what, what he calls a squad system where he gets a pool of eight players and then kind of rotates them through and figures out what the best combo is. And that's, that's the team. And it's, that, that's the model he, he used with Eve's team to win the, the medal, but he was trying that before with like mixed doubles and uh, other teams too. So I think I, I mean, I think he sees it like you run it like um, a soccer club, like a professional soccer club. And then you've got like an academy below. You kind of grab the top couple coming out of juniors every year. And then you, you kind of rotate out people who don't perform or kind of decline with age. And you, you kind of keep it that way. I will say this for Murdoch, though. He seems like basically the kind of like the the good bosses that I've had I've had some really bad ones but I've had some good bosses in my life and the good ones manage you based off of what gets the best performance out of you so yes he did the squad system on the women's side and that resulted in a gold medal he knew not to mess with the with team mallet yeah 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 I don't think he's like <laughs> a, he, a he knows what he's doing he's very knowledgeable yes. And then on top um, of that, yeah. and then e- even further, like those were some of the last things, some of the last things that he messed with were how the teams were formed and then how the teams were selected. Like the, the, where they basically selected who went to worlds that didn't happen until like the very end of that quad where they just straight up said, okay, we're pit, we are hand selecting the team that's going to, be team Scotland at worlds. The first things that he probably messed with were how those teams were supported during events and making sure that that was buttoned up. 
and then how the teams were supported throughout the season. And those are really the two things that I think Canada needs to button up before they start worrying about how teams are selected and how um, championships are decided and how who wears the maple leaf is decided. The first things they need to do are those, those first two things that he probably did with British curling, which was how do you support the team during the course of the week and how do you support the team over the year? Gentlemen, I don't, I don't mean to be overly simplistic, but the problems I'm seeing in curling in Korea and curling in Canada, and I don't know, John and Brian curling in the United States, perhaps, and John curling in, in, in the UK, it's for me, it comes down to money. It comes down to money, right? Because the potential for more fundraising and more money, more sponsorship is totally here in Canada, right? But it's not being tapped into. Uh, Korea, multiply that by a thousand or a million. Um, I, therein, in my opinion, lies many solutions. I mean, I, I agree it's a funding problem. I don't know. Like in the UK, there's basically no money unless you're you're getting your money through like Team GB, which is lottery funded. And mm-hmm. uh, again, that's only the top top 24 players in the country get that. Every Everything else is like entirely self-funded. So... Um, and there's, there's not much, there's like basically no curling on TV. Um, I, I think Scotland's maybe four or 5,000 curlers. England's got, England's now down to under 200 active curlers. So are you serious? Well, we lost the rink. So the rink, uh, the rink I played at, uh, was on a guy's farm and, and he closed it up during the pandemic. So we, we were actually growing that rink. We had about 200 plus members at the time of closure, but, um, Wow. Yeah, unfortunately it's gone and uh we're looking at options but that's going to be years before you get another rink down south. So Holy cow. Yeah. I don't know. We got to blow up the show, man. I I I'm t- I no, seriously. I, I this game is so awesome. I think it's got so much potential, right? I really I don't know why more people don't do it. Oh, I I Honestly. agree. I yeah. I mean I agree. I got we like he we we the club basically took over the rink and we had a good committee and we were in one very short post pandemic season able to double the membership just by doing like just by grabbing low hanging fruit um and actually that rink always did well in terms of corporate events like just in terms of private bookings so i know that there's money in curling and that it's sustainable uh, it's probably doesn't look like the old Canadian club model either, but it's probably a hybrid of like, you know, 90% of the people who use the facility are coming out once to try it for fun or corporate events or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then you can still run a very active club because club times are, you know, they're not kind of peak ice rental times. And then, mm-hmm. you know, a bit of high performance at the top end. But I, and I think that model works anywhere, but mm-hmm. uh I think it's just trying to find the right kind of investors and to back that kind of a model. Mm-hmm. Melvin, you said that I did good segues. You had a very good one just now when you asked, you know, you don't know why people, more people do this. And so I want to use that to discuss the work that you've been doing, <laughs> making sure that more people feel welcome when they are, when they do come 
yeah. into the doors of a curling club. Can you please speak on on that for us? Uh, I'll have to try to pick and choose here because there's a lot I could talk about this. Uh, over the past year, I, I guess uh, I've kind of transitioned from international curling consultant to DEI curling activist. And just the realization, I mean, even at clubs in Ottawa, that the diversity is very, very lacking, right? I would argue City View is probably one of the more progressive curling clubs, not just in Ottawa, but in Canada, save Toronto. Toronto, you got a lot of multicultural diversity there. But um, we have 600 members. I believe people of color make up 20 or less of the 600. Okay, so that's less than 5%, right? And I would even say, I would agree with you and say, you you guys are doing a good job. Yeah. <laughs> compared yeah. to, you know, right. clubs that I've been a member of. Yeah. Now, the thing is this, right? I don't know about you guys. Like, honestly, regarding, I really mean that. I don't know why there are not more people curling because I think, I know the IOC is quite corrupt and uh, can't speak too much about the WCF, but what I do think they've done is uh, a lot in helping to pique international curiosity and interest in curling. Would you not agree? Like after yeah, every yeah, Olympics, it's just everybody wants to start, wants to curl. They don't know how, right? They don't know who to contact. And so um, I believe, especially from non-traditional communities, Koreans in specific, I speak as one, there is this curiosity, right? I want to learn how to curl. I just don't know how to experience it. On the other side, you've got curling clubs that fiscally are not doing very well in Canada, right? They're crying for new members. For me, it's, it's hand-in-glove fit, this, you know? I need new members. I want to learn how to curl. Let's get it together. Problem is, many of these new curlers are not white. Right. And so you from a business standpoint, you would think this would be easier. Like it should just happen naturally. Not so much. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's the club model back in Canada. Um, like ha having grown up, grown up in the Canadian club system, I think club's primary motivation is to keep the club alive for club curling. And there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. um, like the, the one remaining facility here in England is it's the, it's called the flower bowl and it's actually privately owned. It's four sheets, but it's built around a, uh, like a leisure, like what, what in England be called the leisure center, like an entertainment complex. They've got the movie theater, okay. bowling alley, mini golf. Like they've got like a whole bunch of other activities and curling's one of them. And the club is probably two, three nights a week of club curling. And then the rest of the time that rink makes its money off people showing up and booking different activities. And they do everything. They do like, like they, they realized that even just teaching people how to throw from the hack was intimidating. So they basically invented a setup where you could slide stones across the four sheets from a standing position to a puck. And they charge like 10 bucks for that. And you do that for half an hour. And it's like, it's like a mini game. Like to me, it's like an abomination of curling, but it gets people on the <laughs> ice. Right. So absolutely. 
Right? Yes. So, yeah, and and Jonathan, you're part of the problem because you see this as an abomination when really it's getting people <laughs> exposed to curling. I, in I know ways. I'm part of the. I, I know I'm a curling snob. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, but like, I'm like, I'm glad someone's doing it, and it's great that people are getting in the door, and it it sustains a facility that I use. So I'm not gonna like sneer at anyone for doing that. Yeah, but I, I suspect if you showed that model to a lot of clubs back in Canada, they would be, we're not going to let outsiders show up in their jeans and throw like that on our ice. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is uh, when I first went to that change the face of curling, curling Canada symposium last May. Right. Um, Okay. I, I thought, okay, the best way to do it would be top down. Right. So let's work with organizations, curling Ontario, Ottawa Valley curling association, you know, get everyone, hopefully on fire as much as me with this DEI stuff. And then we can actually filter down to, well, in Ottawa, the OVCA, the 50 member clubs in the catchment area. Right. Yeah. Didn't work out. Didn't work out. Uh, (laughs) My first actual meeting as the DEI director, right after it, I quit. (laughs) I quit right afterwards. What happened? Uh, I don't know if I could share that here, actually. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it basically, I was uh, shut down and uh, muzzled during, hmm. during that meeting. Yeah. Uh, there, there, I, I'm saying this because there actually might be a formal proceeding about this going forward. Hmm. So anyways, so I, I learned... Myself, as Andrew Paris, as Sabina Islam, and these other DEI activists have done, it's like, well, you want things to change, got to do it yourself. And so what I what I did was uh, uh, I organized uh, a DEI curling event. This was actually just last week, last Sunday, where 21 people came, uh, people representing the Mexican, Korean, and Chinese communities of Ottawa, all first-timers. And half of them now want to join the curling club. Wow, that's really good. That's fantastic. Yeah. So we're going to do more. And actually, so, how, well, and yeah, so here's here's a here's a question from someone who wants to see his own club. Assuming we ever get ice again, uh, wants to see his own club have success stories like this. Mm-hmm. How was how was the outreach done to get those people into the club? Well. I, I'll be I'll be honest with you. It was people from my friend group. Okay. Right. Mm. So I I have quite a few between myself and actually ironically my skip, who uh, recently started dating a Mexican woman. So we have a whole bunch of Mexican friends. Right. The Koreans like I'm I'm tapped into the Korean community in in Ottawa. So regarding your uh, your question, Ryan, it really it's tapping into the personal networks of the current members. Right. And if anybody has connections to, for example, cultural associations in your community from non-traditional curling countries, right, that would be the best way to do it, to be honest with you. It, it takes people who are in charge of clubs. It takes a willingness on their part to listen. It takes a willingness on yes. their part to um, to admit that they are not the expert. Yes. And to let the let the people who who 
let the people who know how know how to do their jobs do their jobs. That you basically summarized the gist of what happened with that questionable OVCA meeting. What I found to be very, very valuable, and actually it's quite cool, uh, club level locally, uh, nationally, pro curlers like Joanne Courtney, and recently Chelsea Carey, right? To be allies, white people that get it. And yeah, I don't know how you guys are with, with the word woke, but white woke people, but for, okay, forget about woke, who get it, right? <laughs> who, who get it, who really can see through our eyes as marginalized community people who, you know, feel like more needs to be done for us to feel like we belong, right? I heard a, a great word that I'm a, I'm a Sabres fan and the Sabres just had their LGBTQ plus night and the word I heard when they were talking to Kyle Ocposo that struck a chord with me that made me like kind of see that I really, I don't know, that really resonated with me is the word empathy. Like yes. it's a willingness to have empathy. Yes. And I think that's, I think that's the word that gets uh, confused with woke a lot. Yeah. And it's people who are completely unwilling to have empathy. If they want to look down on you for having empathy, then that's the word that they use. And the people who use the word woke are really telling on themselves when they use it the way that they use it. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And you're right. It is being empathetic, putting yourself in their shoes, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if we can do the segue into uh, the stuff with uh, the, the negative comments against Carrie Anderson, right? Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of people that uh, that could that could probably learn how to use empathy. That, yeah, uh, that reared reared their heads during that women's worlds. Canadian fans, Canadian curling fans. This was a quote that uh, Devin Haru uh, said on that curling show from CBC. Canadian curling fans are great until Canadian teams start to lose, right? And yeah, some nasty stuff, right? Nasty stuff lodged. And it's weird how it seems to be more nasty towards women than men, right? You saw I that think. during the Scotties when Curling Canada's, uh, Curling Canada's marketing person's very good post that he did about the difference between the emails that they get during the Scotties and the emails they get during the Briar. Absolutely. And then that foreshadowed, right? Uh, you what we got saw some during worlds. Exactly, you, you got some misogynistic comments against Carrie's Carrie and her team during the worlds as well. But these racist comments, these anti-Aboriginal comments that were lodged against her, against her with with such vitriol, proves that there's a definite level of ugly ignorance in Canadian curling. That needs to be addressed. I actually literally just on my drive to, uh, to Toronto had a very in-depth conversation with Sabina Islam about this very topic hmm. where Curling Canada needs to be more, more vocal and, and make not just a written, but I need to, I, I say like Catherine Henderson needs to actually come out a video clip or something and, and say something about this. Instead of just hiding behind that, you know, multi-ethnic ch children commercial, you know, for the love of curling that comes on all the time. That's not, that's not reality. Yeah, the, 
the the strongest statements have come from other curling fans pointing out these comments and how horrible they are and yes and 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 and, and shaming the people that um for some reason felt that it was a good idea to say these things yeah. online and i mean that's we are more connected as a world but it also means that the some of the worst people in the world now have a megaphone right and they're arm, armchair experts right um like i said i want to echo again because the, the the value gentlemen of allyship that's where the, the, like agents of change for dei ironically it's not going to come from people like me or andrew paris or sabina islam the major agents of change for this are going to be people like you white allies that are empathetic ryan like you said they're empathetic why the I want to, I'm having a trouble not using the word woke. The unempathetic, right? White curlers will, the voice will be stronger and resound better from people like you, frankly, than from people like me. Well, it will with, it will with other white people. I don't, I don't think that I, I don't think anything that I can say, um, I don't think anything that I can say would be stronger than something coming from you in the BIPOC community. People like you and Andrew and Sabrina are doing are doing the heavy lifting, doing the important work, doing the hard work. Mm. I'm doing the easy part, which is the it, it is it is really easy to be empathetic. It is it is much easier to be positive than it is to be negative. Yeah, in my opinion. But to to. To people in marginal, and I want to be inclusive, right? Myself, to not just talk about BIPOC, but members of the LGBTQ2S plus community, and members of like you know the alternatively abled communities, right? These marginalized uh, people of marginalized communities. Really, the actual word picture, right, of empathy is to have a white ally curler come and stand beside us and walk together with us. That's what we're hoping for, right? Regarding this DEI initiative in curling. Hmm. What? Let me ask a maybe a more basic question. So you were organizing, um, what was it like an open house? Then you said for learn to curl. Learn to curl. Learn so to curl. if yeah. if I was like a member of your club, a white member, um, what would you want in terms of assistance from me? For, well, just, I mean, for that, like for that activity, if, if, they, if it's just as simple yeah. as trying to, trying to kind of diversify the club by having more recruitment drives in minority yeah. communities. Two, so I've done one now. So two things. Number one, we got 21, right? And we did it on two sheets. We needed two more, two more teachers, coaches, right? Yeah. Four was not enough. And four included me. And I've never taught curling before in my life. I need to learn curling still, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, just people in, like I'm telling you, just instructional yes. But the role and function of people in the lounge, members in the lounge afterwards, you know, with the food and beverages and that that time in the lounge when you know everybody socializes after a game, same thing, right? Help these new people coming to the club feel welcome. Hmm. That's it. Yeah. It's pretty basic. That's club recruitment 101, right? 100%. 100%.
Um, but yeah, no, now that I've actually, uh, um, I was thinking of another phrase, but I want to keep this uh, rated G. But now that I've actually experienced this and, and actually done a learn to curl, yeah, some mistakes, but uh, a lot more positives, right, from, the, yeah. from that session. Well, Melvin, keep, keep fighting the good fight. Whatever we can do on this podcast to support you or, or help raise your voice, uh, we will do. It sounds like you're doing a great job uh, on your own without our help, but uh, whatever help that we can do uh, to help further your mission, we will do it. And we can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Thank you, guys, both. I mean, this is a megaphone, right? This podcast. Uh, yes. Uh, right. You beat yourself down, man. Uh, the fan base is bigger than you think. Seriously. Uh, <laughs> Brian has to remember to hit record more. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> this is an international podcast. What are you talking about? Come on. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate Thank, you. Thanks, uh, thanks for coming on again, Melvin. Right. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. If you enjoyed this show, we ask you to please leave a review or tell a friend about us. Your referrals to friends and family are the greatest compliment we can receive and is what allows our show to grow and share our love of this great game. You can find all of our past shows and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. If you have a question or comment, you can reach us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to us, and we will talk to you again real soon.